0: Well, last week, as we talked about Saul's conversion, Paul, we talked about the mission that God put before him, the revelation that, Paul, that Saul had received of who this Jesus truly is, this Jesus that he didn't know before. And how God then used Saul, Paul, in his background, of all his theological training, of all his knowledge of the scriptures, to speak immediately upon his conversion to the world around him, to show that Jesus truly was the Son of God. And how their hearts were touched and moved by that truth, the truth of scripture and by the gospel. And as that word goes out, that diaspero goes out into the world in our series. So the Jerusalem Church is really struggling with how to come to grips with the fact that the word's beginning to go to all nations, as Jesus said, and what that truly means. And Peter who has, by the Holy Spirit, had that knowledge, who has become kind of that spokesman for the church, even though he is not the head of the church in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to need to show Peter that he needs to change, that his narrow understanding of what it means to follow Jesus is much wider. Than Peter ever experienced before. So we're going to look at this lesson in Acts. And truly this story goes through all of Acts 10 and into Acts 11. We're not going to cover all that. We're just going to do a few selected verses. So those verses that we call on, you might follow along in your connection today as we begin to look at those. And we heard this in the first lesson today that at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, there's something that you need to understand. In Judaism, there were two types of converts. There was the first type that was schooled in the Torah that had acknowledged Yahweh as God and had been circumcised. They're not Jews because they weren't born Jews, but they're converts. And those converts that had gone through that process, those were the ones who were allowed into the court of the Gentiles in order to worship And then there was another class of converts, those who had not been circumcised but had acknowledged Yahweh as that one true living God. They could only stand at the gate of the temple, at the gate of the court of the Gentiles. They were not allowed to enter the court of the Gentiles. I say that because this is who Cornelius is. He has not been circumcised, he is not one of those converts that can enter that place. He can only stand at the gate but that's what Luke means when he says that Cornelius was devout and God-fearing. And so this setting, this chapter that we're going to look at into 11 is setting that stage in this diaspora with that the church's struggle. Because two things are going to come out in the history of the church that they need to try to figure out. The dilemma is this. One, If I'm a follower of the way, of Jesus Christ, as Son of God, as Lord of all, did you first have to go through Judaism and the synagogue to become a convert, to become somebody who could even worship Jesus? Or was there direct access for a Gentile world and life through faith and baptism? That's the struggle of the early church. And we see that struggle go on all through many of Paul's letters to the different churches. There's always that group that says you have to become a convert to Judaism. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law. As Paul says, the Judaizers who come in every time he's at a Gentile place and try to say, no, this is the only way that you can worship Jesus. And Paul fights that battle and the church comes to gri- is trying to come to grips with it. And so Peter's one of the people who's going to have this revelation today in order to help lead the church. So it goes on. One day at about three in the afternoon, and that's kind of the prayer time for devout Jews, three in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him with fear. What is it, Lord? He, the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Two virtues that Judaism taught that we see in scripture are these, that there were prayers and alms given, that generosity. Cornelius, it says, had given to the poor in Cornelius's world, that would have been the Jews. And I'll tell you why, because in Cornelius's life, it was the Jews in his area where he was this centurion, Who had given him this word of God first and foremost. Where he had come to learn who Yahweh was. Where he had come to gain faith in their religion. And we hear these words that your prayers and your alms, your gifts to the poor have come up and that's why God favors you. And I think we might stop there and we might think, see, it is really about what we do, isn't it? Because isn't that what it's saying here? His prayers, his gifts, that's why God is hearing him. That's why God is sending him an angel. And it's not the case. Because Luke has already described to us that Cornelius is a devout person, that he worships Yahweh, that he already has that faith relationship in his heart. He had believed that word, had faith, and that faith now is just what we see as being lived out. Lived out in generosity, lived out in a prayer life, lived out in heartfelt commitment and gratitude to his fellow man. You see, our God receives our good works done in faith. He receives them because first is that relationship that has been built through Jesus Christ that we have in our hearts, that forgiveness that we have, and out of that then flows our generosity and our gifts to the world and those around us. So the angel speaks to Cornelius and he tells him to send for Peter. And the scene changes because he gathers around some devout followers and they're going off to Joppa to get him. And then the scene changes and we see Peter going up to the roof to pray. He's praying. He gets hungry while he's praying. And this vision comes to him. The vision that comes down in the sheet is they are all not kosher foods. And Peter's going, hey, I'm not a pork eater. I don't do this, Lord. I've never done this in my life and the the vision and then the voice it says no Peter you're to make a meal of this and Peter's protesting in fact this is what he says surely not lord peter replied i have never eaten anything impure or unclean it's interesting Luke uses the exact same phrase that Peter uses in John when Jesus goes to wash his feet. Remember when he protested and he says, surely not, Lord? That's Peter. Peter's using the same thing. No, I'm not going to have this happen. I'm not going to change. Peter has a real struggle with change. Maybe we have a struggle with change. I don't know. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? But Peter needs to learn a new way. Peter needs to learn that God has come and Jesus is teaching him that things are going to be different. And so Peter's trying to come to grips with that. It happens three times. He's in this quandary. He wants to understand what this vision is. And I think we need to realize that. We need to know how difficult it is for Peter, for any Jew, to change this mindset that they've had For thousands of years. Think about that. The law given by Moses, suddenly they have to come to grips with the fact that that old covenant has ended in Jesus Christ. That's a big gear shift for them. That the covenant that it was only supposed to be in place till Messiah came and now that Jesus has come, the new covenant is there and the new covenant is radically different from the old covenant. And the voice says that God has made this clean. And really it means more than just the animals. I want to think about two verses from scripture. Remember that when Jesus comes in this new covenant, it isn't just about food. Because it says in Revelation, behold, I am making all things new. And in Galatians, when Paul says, in Christ there is no male or female Jew or Gentile. This is the message that's coming to Peter. That Peter, this mindset you have has to change because my word's going to go out. This church is going to grow and it's not going to just be Jewish people. It's going to be people all over the world in a new way. Everything. And, And it says Peter's wondering about this. He's trying to connect the dots. And the messengers from Joppa arrive. And Peter goes down and Peter's given clear instruction by the Holy Spirit. Look, there's people downstairs waiting for you don't hesitate to go with them. That's really important. Go with them, whatever they're going to ask you to do, Peter. Hang on to those instructions. And so Peter goes down and it says, Why have you come? And the men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. And a holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear What you have to say. Notice that that word is there. They call those devout followers of Cornelius, close personal guards, people that he trusts, call him righteous. I think that's important to look at this Gentile who is called righteous. It just simply means one who is allowed access to God He's not that full-fledged convert of Judaism. He's outside that court of the Gentiles. But Luke's given us an insight here. He's talking about this Gentile who believed the scriptures, like Abraham. That belief, as it says in scripture, to Abraham was credited to him as righteousness. So it is this belief that Cornelius has in that promise of the Messiah to come. In what he saw in these Hebrew scriptures. God credits to him as righteousness. He needs that completion to understand who Messiah is. And that's what Peter's going to do. And Peter begins then to unpack that vision. And he does something that no Jew would ever do. He goes to the centurion's home. He goes in. He meets him. He enters. He stays. And he eats with them. Because Peter had been told, do not hesitate. And as Peter's there and the whole group of people are gathered around Cornelius. People that he knew in the city. Friends that he's already in his life witnessed to. Peter begins to speak. And this is what he says. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. But accepts from every nation the one who fears him. And does what is right. That word right In the Greek is poion, which we get pious from. It means somebody who pursues righteousness. So Peter's beginning to realize that. Remember, righteousness is not what we define righteousness as. Righteousness is what the, the scriptures define it to be. That when a sinner repents, that's righteousness and that forgiveness from Jesus. That they follow God's command from that repentance, loving God and their neighbor. And Cornelius didn't just do a few good things that put him in this standing. Remember, his life is steeped in this word of God, steeped in following these Hebrew scriptures, seeking out God, seeking out their people, seeking out their scriptures, honoring them, and trying to find more insight all the time about who this living God of the Hebrews is. And Peter goes on, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And see, here's Peter unpacking the scripture saying this is what you've learned in these hebrew scriptures now i'm going to teach you who this messiah is that it's jesus jesus from nazareth and he is more than just a man more than just a prophet he in fact is that messiah the son of god he is lord of all he is the one who's come he is the promise that you've been looking at that's the message of the diaspora that's going out into all the world. That we're going to see throughout the whole book of Acts. How often that that is recounted again and again. That you knew this about the scriptures. But here's the completion in Jesus Christ. If you were a Jew, the pathway to heaven is Jesus. If you are a Gentile who believes in other God, the pathway to heaven is Jesus. Anybody in the world, the pathway to heaven is Jesus. That's the message of the diaspora. And so Peter continues to preach. And if you look at that, it looks a lot and sounds almost exactly like the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up and talked about it. And suddenly an event takes place. The Holy Spirit is poured out on these Gentiles. And they begin to speak in languages too. And the Jews are astonished. Because they thought that promise in Joel of, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your old men will see visions, your young men will dream dreams. They thought that was only for the Jewish people. That that was never going to be something that went out into the whole world. So they see that happening and they're trying to come to grips with it. And then Peter says, these people, need just like Pentecost, they need to be baptized. They're baptized into Jesus And so that's kind of the end of chapter 10, but then we go into 11, and Peter's going back to Jerusalem, and this is what it says. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Notice what they're upset with. They're not upset that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. They're not upset that they were baptized. They're upset that Peter went into the house, stayed there, and ate with them. And I think it sounds a little reminiscent of some Pharisees who said to the disciple, Your master associates with sinners and eats with them. You see, they haven't got it. They still don't understand They're saying, these are Gentiles. There's a label on these people. You can't go in and associate with Gentiles because Gentiles are sinners and we're separate for them and we want nothing to do with them. In his book, Not So Wild a Dream, newsman Eric Severide says this. If you can call a group a name such as bourgeoisie or Bolshevik, a capitalist, a honky, a hippie, a pig, an imperialist, and the like. The one so labeled may be reviled, imprisoned, tortured, killed, or exiled because he is no longer a human being but a symbol and a label. He does not bleed when pricked. His heart does not cry in the night. You can simply dismiss him. See, there's the problem with labels. The problem with labels in the Jews' life in that day who were followers of Jesus now, those labels stuck and they couldn't come to grips with it. But it's not just a problem in their day. It continues to be a problem in our days. That if we look at a group of people and we simply label them... Non believers, or somebody who is a foreigner, somebody who doesn't belong, somebody who follows Hindu, somebody who follows Buddhism, somebody, we just put a label on them, we can dismiss them from our minds. We can simply say, we don't need to bring the word to them. They don't need to know about Jesus because we've already re- relegated them to a position in our lives of something that's not that important. But Peter says, no, God shows no partiality. Jesus came and died for the sins of the world. Past, present, and future, all people, all time, all places, forever, all races, all kindreds, all tribes. Race is not a qualification. Ethnicity is not a qualification. Access is to all people. You know, there's a story about a composer, maybe you know The composer I know Nick does, Charles Ives. Charles Ives is known uh, for many of his compositions with a lot of dissonant notes. Notes that seem to clash. Notes that don't seem to fit together in his compositions a lot of times. He says in a story that he really got this from his father who also was a church organist. His father was known in the congregation as somebody who would encourage people to sing out boldly if they couldn't carry a tune if they didn't know the notes just make sure that you sing with praise to god it didn't matter and his father told him a story once about a music scholar, a young kid who was going to college, who was in the congregation, and how he was just complaining about the guy who was the known bricklayer in the town. He said about him, you know what, he sings off key, he sings the wrong notes, his voice is horrible and raucous, he bellows, he hits notes that no one else does, it's awful, Charles Ives says his father responded to this music scholar in saying this. I want you to watch him next time you're in church. Watch him closely and reverently. Forget the sound. For if you do, he said, you will miss the music. You see, he said the wild, heroic ride to heaven is not made on pretty little sounds. Peter says Jesus is Lord of all, of all people, of all tribes, of all kindreds, of everybody. And the early church dispersed throughout the world would have to come to grips with that because they were going to go places that they never expected to go. They were going to find people in the world. They were going to have sounds from that world that in their mind seemingly didn't come together and harmonize in what they knew in what they had been taught and what they have lived The church still goes out and there still is not perfect harmony in the world and there's never going to be. That great church of the great multitude which no man could number from all those tribes, from all those kindreds, from all those places is not made up of harmonic notes. It doesn't make pretty little sounds. It is a group of people that is not in tune with the times in much of it. They don't say what people want to hear. Because people want to hear mostly about themselves. It doesn't speak always the best things in political context. Because guess what? Jesus isn't political. Jesus is Lord of all. He's over everything. He comes first. Everything else comes second. There's always going to be disharmony as we go into the world. And as people that we never expected hear that Jesus is Lord. And hear the forgiveness that comes. And are moved. And become part of that multitude once and for all. But those words alone, that Jesus is Lord of all. That is the cacophony of music. That is the heroic ride to heaven that we all sing together however we sing it. Because we all come from different places. And we have been given a charge by our Lord and Savior who is Lord of all. That his word would continue to be dispersed, to go out into the world, to reach all people, even if we can't see that there's somebody who should have access. May God change our hearts. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you. Because when your word came to us in our world, somewhere we were brought in and we were outside when it began. Whether that was in family history or somewhere else, And you brought us into this harmony of life. And the music, Lord, may be noise to many people because it's so many different notes. But to you it is the sweetest music of all because it proclaims your name. And it proclaims you as Lord of all. Lord, open our hearts to see that your word still needs to go out into places that maybe we don't expect. And we don't accept. But use us, Lord. Let us remember this place in scripture. Let us see how you move people off of that comfort zone to reach out to people that didn't seem to fit. And may we do the same to give glory to you in all places. We ask this in your name. Amen.